This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. It's my music. You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 129, and it's another Music Memories episode, sponsored by HelloFresh. And today I am joined once again by one of the hosts of Shake Them Ropes, which is also on the VOW Network. It's Jeff Hawkins. Hello again, Jeff. I'm happy to be in your humble abode, Andrew. Hmm, my, my abode, okay. Um, <laughs> Well, I'm on I, my good boy behavior. I've been trying. Well, I'm glad you're back, Jeff. That's that's what matters here, because um, you always put a smile on my face whenever <laughs> you're on the show here. Um, now, now I know it's <laughs> is it because mass chaos can 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 start at any time, depending on what I'm talking about. Well, you know, I enjoy our conversations together, and we're on similar wavelengths when it comes to music. So yes. you know, I like when you're on. Okay, good. Yeah. So um. Now, I know it's been a rough week for you, Jeff, since the loss. Oh, uh, don't start listen, with listen, this. Listen, I'm, I'm offering my condolences to you, my condolences on the loss of your team, the Bengals, in the Super Bowl, which you were there live for. And yes. um, I know that, you know, as a Patriots fan, my condolences don't mean a whole lot. No, but... they don't mean jack shit. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, regardless, whatever my sympathies may be worth, you have them, Still. and uh, I, I do hope that you being on here can give you the boost you need there, Jeff. So, Still not worse than the people who come here and go, hey, they beat the spread, so technically they won. It's like, well, great, I don't get world championship <laughs> gear because we beat the spread, all right? I uh, I did laugh when, um, after the game, <laughs> you posted on Twitter that picture of Charlie Brown going, Ah, <laughs> yes. and that was the collective mood of Bengals fans in the stadium, which outnumbered Rams fans two and a half or three to one. Yeah, and Brian Rose, who was like the nicest guy in the world, was like, oh, "There's always next year." And you replied, "I will punch you in the dick." Because <laughs> we we've all been there, right? We've all been there where we've just had that crushing feeling of our team losing and. Someone always chimes in with, you know, you'll get him next year. You tried your best. It's just a game. And you're like, I will murder you right now. You Shut have a up. Bright fu- you have a bright future ahead of you. You don't know my team, lady. <laughs> <laughs> this is our chance. <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you got to strike while the iron's hot. And, you know, congratulations again to Joe Lanza and the 12 L.A. Rams fans that exist. Appreciate that. Uh, yes, yes. Well, um, Dozens of people. Dozens of people showed up to their victory party. I'm not bitter. (laughs) Well, um, on a more positive note, I do want to offer my congratulations to you because uh, recently Shake Them Ropes celebrated its 500th episode. Yes. uh, Which means you've spent like, what, eight years doing that show? Which Uh, There there was uh, maybe a little bit less. I think maybe seven. Um, I think we just hit seven years uh, of 14. No, maybe eight. I think you're right. There were were a few months where I... (laughs) And did a stupid thing, and there was so much content that I wanted to cover it all, so I was doing two episodes a week for a few months there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I believe it's eight years. I believe our first episode was in 2014 in February, so yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's pretty remarkable considering just how awful WWE has been these past number of years. Also so, um... a testament to the fact that Voices of Wrestling will not cancel a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no matter how much listenership you lose or how many hosts leave you. Joe and Rich are very nice people and <laughs> very, very patient with my dumbass corner of, of this podcasting network. <laughs> Look, you signed the contract. It's a legally binding document, all right? <laughs> you can't leave till they say you can leave, all right? Come on. <laughs> I can't leave until I've hit double-digit listeners. That's <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I did the math. I think for me to get to 500 episodes, if I keep my current release schedule... It would take another 15 years to get to 500 when I'm like 44 years old. You're going quality over quantity, Andrew, is what you're doing. I know, I know, yeah, but it's like I'll be 44 and I don't know if I want to keep doing this for that long. Um, (laughs) No no offense, no offense, Jeff, I'm sorry about that. No offense. (laughs) Old man Hawkins here on his... Had to talk about music nobody's ever heard of. But it's yeah, okay. <laughs> but it's like by the time I get to five hundred, it'll be twenty thirty-seven, and that's a long ways away, Jeff. I mean, you know, anything could happen by then. Yeah, I'll hopefully be dead. No. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe the Bengals will have won a Super Bowl by then. I'll be not. <laughs> well, let's not go too far now. Let's yes. reeling in a bit here. <laughs> let's Come not on, go too far, too far. Thank you. But no, um, just do it and do it. It's no longer fun. Or, or unless you have an ego to feed like me. <laughs> it stopped being fun five years ago, but I'm still doing the show because I like hearing my own voice, I guess. I don't know. I'm very self-deprecating about it. But, you know, I've had I've had fun. despite Bad wrestling is actually more fun to talk about sometimes than good wrestling. Yeah, that could be true. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's only so many times you could say, yeah, it was pretty good. It was solid. Ah, and... This was smooth. This was great. Oh, but did you see this car wreck over here? <laughs> Let's spend half an hour on that thing. Yeah, but I mean, it's, it's like real life, too. You know, you know, nobody stops to look at just normal cars. They stop to look at the crashes and exactly. the wrecks. So it's yeah. it's pretty on point there, Jeff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if I really want to torture myself, I'd talk about TNA's past, but I'm not going to go. Okay, now far. who's being insulting to, to Garrett and Liam there? I mean, you want to you want to come after <laughs> me for being insulting? Come on now. No, Garrett and Liam, Garrett and Liam know. Ex- no, they know exactly what they're getting themselves into. So good for them. They want to talk about bad stuff, <laughs> even though Garrett complains all the time about having to watch bad stuff. Like when we had Garrett on our show, oh, the, the whining and the complaining. It's just <laughs> dreadful. You've got to be kidding me, by the way, is the name of the show with uh, Garrett and Liam. It's yes. on the network. It's a it's a great show. All, all jokes aside, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Oh, no, it is. <laughs> I wasn't mean to slag them. It was just <laughs> one of those things where it's like uh, we, we can say that TNA has had some uh, – not so pristine moments in its history. It's yeah, it's it's had some uh, some clunkers in the canon, uh, shall we say? Yeah, but um, many. I'd but... go I'd go above some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, in any event, Jeff, uh, today we are here to do another music memories episode. This yeah. is where I have on a guest, and they talk about three memories of their wrestling fandom that are strongly linked to music in some way. It could be from a show. It could be from a live event a game, an album, what have you. And um, these are not like typical episodes where we dig deep on the music and analyze that, but it's more of a uh, casual conversation about these songs and these memories. And uh, Jeff, looking at the three you gave me here, it's a pretty eclectic mix, I'd say, Uh, especially the first one, which uh, we'll get to in a minute here. But um, I did chuckle a bit because 
you asked me beforehand if anyone had picked these before. And for the first one in particular, it was a pretty easy no. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to this uh, conversation a lot here, Jeff. Well, I, I remember um, – I, I couldn't remember if it was just mentioned or if it had been picked, but I almost put Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy on It here. had not been picked, no. Okay. Then somebody talked about it ad nauseum because Party All the Time – back in the territory days was the standard bumper music <laughs> at both, I believe mid South and I think Memphis and maybe continental all used to, to go in and out of, of commercial breaks at times. And, and so it, it was one of those things where it's like, well, I didn't want to pick that one because I thought it had already been picked. So that's why I asked because my memory, as you as you know, I'm an older gentleman, so as I get older, my uh, my memory uh, fades as to what what was correct and what wasn't. I mean, people can remember all these cards and stuff that I just go, eh, okay, don't remember that. Thanks very much. So I, I couldn't remember who had picked what from the olden days, as we like to say. So I was a little afraid. I was I was uh, picking something that was a little bit too. I guess too mainstream, but at the same time, I'm old and nobody is as old as me on this network so maybe why is, sorry somebody's playing music next door loud i didn't know if it was bleeding through and it's driving me nuts my headphones uh it's fine it was just one of those things where i thought it, it seems like a very safe pick so i didn't want to make it in case somebody else had already made it so yeah sorry oh it's fine it's fine don't worry about it um okay uh well let's get to it then uh, yes. jeff what is your first music memory first music memory is frank stallone Far from over. Okay, so growing up in Jim Crockett Promotions country, uh, if there was an event that was closed circuit and then later pay-per-view, I think the last year they used this was 87 or so, but 83 to about 87, any special event Crockett did that was coming out on video later on or that was, you know, that they had to recap of some kind, there was a video package to this tune, Far From Over by Frank Stallone. From the soundtrack of Staying Alive, the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. Uh, get into that in a second. I always thought this was like bumper music of some kind. I, I thought this was because I know Dusty, on a, on, a, on a previous episode I was on, we talked about music that Dusty Rhodes used. And he had used stuff from like the Lakers video package or whatever. So I always thought this was like canned music for a while because so many people used this. And I had never seen the movie Staying Alive. Uh, we'll talk about that in a bit. But um, yeah, so, so and also this music in my childhood was synonymous with a very famous Saturday Night Live sketch. I'm not sure it, it's, 
of course it's way past your time, but I'm not sure how much of Saturday Night Live history you know. But um because Saturday Night Live does not uh does not really recognize the years that Lorne Michaels was not a part of it, which was two years um in the mid eighties. And during those years, that was when Dick Ebersol took over Saturday Night Live, and he had a murderer's row cast on there. It was uh, Billy Crystal, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, uh, I believe Rich Hall, who uh, was also a part of that cast. But the, they used to do a lot more filmed sketches that they put in here. And and this, this song, uh, Far From Over, was used in a sketch about men's synchronized swimming. That starred Harry Shearer and Martin Short. Martin Short playing a man who didn't know how to swim. <laughs> and Christopher Guest playing a, uh, a very gay choreographer. And, and, and it was during, I believe, the Summer Olympics of 84, which we had, which Russia had boycotted. Or it was right after that. So they were talking about how men's synchronized swimming <laughs> had not gotten enough uh, recognition. And that they were going to, uh, they were going to be groundbreakers and, and ceiling crashers for men synchronized swimming and their routine was going to be to this song far from over uh jim crockett promotions used this mostly as, as highlights and it was the musical break and it, it, if you if you listen to it it's very famous with the guitar riff and everything they don't use the the vocalized parts in it but it, it became synonymous with my childhood of I'm never going to be able to pay 60 bucks for the clamshell VHS that they're selling of, say, Crockett Cups 1 and 2, or, you know, uh, was it the Starcade the Gathering, or, or whatever it, it was, because, number one, my parents did not encourage my wrestling fandom, and we certainly didn't go to live events, and we certainly didn't go to closed-circuit events that were playing at arenas or anything like that. And closed circuit, for those of you who didn't know, precursor to pay-per-view in many places, you'd go to an arena, they'd set up this giant screen with a bad sound system, and you'd basically watch watch the pay-per-view or watch the event on, on the screen in there. You'd have some concessions, uh, you know, very light, you know, popcorn and drinks. And, you know, it was, it, it was like watching watching a movie in your high school auditorium <laughs> many times, but they used this music incessantly for highlight reels of those types of things. And, and, and it just, it, it, it always to me is synonymous with those highlight packages. You know, it, my, my first memories of seeing giant Baba was still one of these packages uh, because he was in one of the Crockett cups at, at the time. So, so it's, you know, th those types of, uh, those types of memories are very, very ingrained in my skull. Now I don't understand have you seen either Saturday Night Fever or Staying Alive, the movies? I've seen Saturday Night Fever, but not the sequel, no. This may shock you. I've never seen Saturday Night Fever, the movie. It's, it's just never been one of those, those things. But in the early 80s, for some reason, about every six or seven years, people get fascinated with making movies about dancing. And I don't understand it. You know, the latest dance craze, where Flash Dance was big here. Fame was big. There, there are three things people love putting in movies that, yeah, later break in and then break in two, Electric Boogaloo. One of my favorite jokes to play is any sequel has Electric Boogaloo afterwards. <laughs> but, you know, Staying Alive combines three things nobody wants. You know, dance, Broadway, and John Travolta. Nobody wants any of those three things on the big screen, really. I, I just, it, it, the best thing about this song, I can say, 
is you got to listen to Frank Stallone talk about because this is really his only big hit. Um, other than being a punchline for Norm MacDonald for many years on, on the aforementioned Saturday Night Live uh, <laughs> weekend update. But he tells this story about how because Sylvester Stallone directed Staying Alive and then fired the Bee Gees like halfway through the whole process because or the Bee Gees didn't want to work on the soundtrack, even though they do like the whole first side of it. And <laughs> And there's, I was watching this YouTube video of, of Frank Stallone. He's do, he's like, we're at dinner, and it's Sylvester Stallone, John Travolta, and me. And I have these tapes of these songs, and it's a conversation between Rocky Balboa and Vinny Barbarino from, from Welcome Back, Goddard. He's doing the voices like, it's fantastic stuff. And Stallone... Yeah, well, Frank Stallone's biggest crime is he's he's the he's the older brother of a more famous guy. <laughs> you know, he's, he's a very funny guy and very charming. His music is Hasselhoff level to me, but uh, it, it was one of those stories that went. I did not know like the Bee Gees got fired halfway through the whole process uh, on the soundtrack. But um, yeah, not, I don't have a lot of fond memories about Frank Frank Stallone, but this this music. Lots of advertisers and lots of local TV uh, areas used it because there was no paying royalties or anything back then. You just used music and said the hell with you. <laughs> yeah, this is one of those songs I've heard a bunch of times, but I never knew who did it. I'm the so same way. I've heard way. this in movies yeah. and TV shows during like you know montages and things like that, but I had no idea it was Frank Stallone. Um, but but I do Either know it was used for a training montage on Glow. Yeah, on Wikipedia, there's like a whole <laughs> list of examples of this being used in like, you know, dance montages and yes. training montages and things yeah. like that and in various movies and TV shows. So I get why they would use it in wrestling because it has this, you know, zippy, energetic, inspiring feel to it for wrestling. It, it works pretty well there. And and as well, you know, we've mentioned this plenty of times before, but, uh, you know, 80s wrestling would just use all sorts of pop music, pretty much carte blanche. <laughs> up to a certain point because they were hit songs let's use them let's let's put them in our shows so yeah i get why they would pick this song here um i think the fact that it's frank stallone of all people is is pretty amusing to me there but um but the guy can sing jeff you can't deny that of course oh yeah uh i believe an arcane music fact is that um i think jelly bean benitez did a remix of this song and that's what caught the attention of madonna and her people and he then produced i think some of her early hits like borderline and holiday i think that's how he got the gig was from 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 his remix of this song or from some being involved with this process somehow is, that, is how he got made his bones being a music producer in some way Interesting, yeah. Um, I mean, this song was, you know, a pretty big hit. This was a top ten. Uh, it got a Golden Globe nomination as well. So, um, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know it had yeah. a Golden Globe nomination. So the foreigners really liked the Frank Stallone, did they? Uh, apparently so. The yeah. foreign press. This uh, Frank Stallone, he is a musical genius. No. Eh? <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you know the 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 gimmick with the with the uh, with the Golden Globes is this, it's like 120 foreign press people. Who are all on the take? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I worked on a show that got a Golden Globe, so. 
I mean, when the tourist starring Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie is getting nominated for stuff. That's, yes. That's yes. a sign that something is up, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and they always go for foreign, foreign nominees, too, on American productions. If they can find that. Or somebody attempting a European accent of some kind, they'll always they'll always nominate that person for a Golden Globe, and it's it's seen as a precursor to the Oscars. But at the same time, you're like, nah, it's just an excuse to get movie and TV people in the same room, have dinner, and get drunk. That's really what it is. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Um, now, also about this song, I looked this up too. Here, apparently, it was also used by Jerry Lawler for his talk show on Memphis TV around the same time. That would not shock me. That would not, yeah, because, yeah, it's it's one of those things that, wrestlers love this song. I think it was also used as theme song for somebody in, I want to say, or maybe it was just like basic music that they used for any team that didn't have a theme song, but I think like the Andersons used this once as a walkout. Maybe it was at a Starcade or something. When they were really trying to ape the WWF or even the Freebirds using music as, as walkout music and everybody had to have a tune. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I did see that it was used at Starcade um, by a couple of guys for their entrance themes back in the day. So, yeah, there you go. Um, honestly, you know, regardless of how big the song is or, or how it was used throughout the years, like you said, Jeff, when I think of Frank Stallone, I pretty much think first and foremost of Norm MacDonald on a weekend update with the whole, you know, you guessed it, you Frank, guessed Stallone. It. Frank Stallone. So, yeah, to me, he's always going to be associated with Norm no matter what. Um, and actually, after Norm died, Justin Roberts and AEW started introing Frankie Gazarian as, you guessed it, Frankie Gazarian, which I thought was a, a pretty nice touch there, Jeff. I'll tell you where else I associate Frank Stallone with. Do you, do you remember? Did you, you've seen the movie Tombstone? Uh, yes. He's the first gambler that Doc Holliday kills in that poker game. That's Frank Stallone. <laughs> So that's that's where I associate him with, too, is Tombstone for some reason. Hmm, I, I did not know that. Okay. Well, before we move on here, let me just say that this episode of Music of the Mat is brought to you by HelloFresh. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes right to your door. No car trips, no long checkout lines. It's so much easier. You can also save, on average, over $65 a month with HelloFresh instead of grocery shopping, so it's Money Smart too. There's a veggie option, a calorie smart option, gourmet, family friendly, take your pick and whatever you want there. And HelloFresh offers the flexibility as well to easily customize your order online or in the app, which means you can change your delivery day, change your food preferences and your plan size, or you can skip a week whenever you need to. And I know for myself, I'm someone who really likes that flexibility of going online and changing up my options, changing up my plan. So it's not just a matter of convenience, of course. It's also a way to keep things fresh, if you'll pardon the pun. So if you want to sign up, just go to HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and use the code VOW16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Once again... HelloFresh.com slash VOW16. That's the number 1616. And use the code VOW16 and get up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Okay, Jeff, uh, what is your second music memory? Uh, second is Thunderkiss 65 by White Zombie. <laughs> 
Now, for those of you who uh, came to ECW late, you remember the TNN theme, maybe. Maybe you remember the stuff that's from the network. But for me, Thunderkiss 65 is always, I always associate with ECW television when I really loved ECW. It was, the, the theme was the first few beats of, of Nine Inch Nails Closer, and then it would just go right into a, a highlight package set to White Zombies Thunderkiss 65. Um, around 93, 94, I was in college. At, uh, at the University of Virginia. And I was an active lurker, I would call myself, on Rec Sport Pro Wrestling. And ECW was all the rage um, amongst the internet community. Um, mostly because both WWF and WCW really sucked at this point. I mean, WWF was doing the stuff with Doink and... You know, country singer Jeff Jarrett, I think. And th this was the, the era of, like, the narcissist, I believe. And big characters. They're, they're, they're in the death throes of their cartoon characters. And they're just getting into the Brett Sean stuff on top in some ways. But it's still, Monday Night Raw is in its infancy for the most part. It hasn't really found its groove yet. They're still heavy into a little bit of the post-Hogan cartoony era. And then WCW is trying to be WWF at this point. It is, uh, you know, we, we've passed the dangerous alliance point. We're trying to find our way. We're doing goofy, bigger characters and just... Uh, all you gotta do is say PN News and everybody will know what you're talking about <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but for wrestling fans, you had, I mean... Where I was, you had two options. Or actually three. You could tape trade. I'd get Smoky Mountain Wrestling, but even that was kind of uh, in the nadir after 94 or so when they made their working arrangement with WWF. I may have my timeline mixed up. That might be 95. But, you know, you'd only get... You'd get it in syndication. And, you you know, if the NBC station that was running Smoky Mountain was really good about it, you'd get it maybe once every two weeks if you were lucky. So, so you couldn't really count because they'd play it after Saturday Night Live at 1 a.m. On a, on a Sunday morning. <laughs> so you're staying up watching Saturday Night Live, hoping you get some Smoky Mountain Wrestling, or you're coming in from a party single. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Or, you know, when, when I got... I, I could get some ECW through tape trading. I could get it through Rec Sport Pro Wrestling binaries, I believe. But also there was a channel back home that was running the syndicated show so whenever i'd go back for winter break or whatever i'd, I'd record the episodes that were playing and, and I, I would you know i'd keep those with me and up through the nitro start when they invaded that was my ecw that was when you know you had guys coming through who were crossing between wcw and wwf the ron simmons the steve austins etc you'd get guys from japan you'd get you know, Malenko and Benoit and Guerrero were all in here wrestling, and it was they were great. Shane Douglas was great. This is all post the night line was crossed. And it was really, it was an amalgam of a bunch of styles. You'd get your FMW hardcore match here and there, and that was awesome. And you'd get your Japanese, you know, 
strong style match. That was awesome. Eventually, you'd get the Luchadors with Conan and Ray and Psychosis and La Parca. And that was awesome. And they had promos. And it felt... It it didn't feel like they were insulting your tel- intelligence. It felt like it was for, you know, men of a of a certain age who liked, you know, smack talk and fake fighting. And, and you know, you, you had the remnants of the territory still in there because you'd have tag teams in there like Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka. You'd have the Bruise Brothers in there. You'd, you'd have... Um, I think the Fantastics did a short stint in there as well. The Heavenly Bodies came through before they went to WW or before Pritchard went back to WWF. You know, on the internet, it made it seem like Sabu and Public Enemy were the biggest things in wrestling because you know, oh, they're they're putting people through tables or they're moonsaulting through tables. And you had Cactus Jack and you had Kevin Sullivan, and you know, the Tasmaniac eventually came back. You know, rebranded as Taz and was just. It was. It felt like an adult federation, and that's what I was looking for, as opposed to you know cartoon characters and stuff. So I, I mean, I really, I, I and I loved real music. You know, it, it's one of those things where, look, you you can everybody laughs about the WCW album all the time, but it drove me nuts that they weren't using real songs as a twenty-something who didn't know anything about licensing and things like that. So you know. You'd have Thunder Kiss being used as the theme here. You'd have real music used as theme songs. I believe uh, Benoit was using Aerosmith's Back in the Saddle again. And, you know, uh, uh, Public Enemy was using Slam by Onyx. And then when they were promoting the cards, it'd be like uh, Elastica Connection and Stereo MCs Connected and The Breeders Cannonball and, you know, all this music that was, you know, big at the time there. I believe uh, also they, I think at one time they used uh, uh, Liz Fair Supernova, you know, all, all these really cool songs. It, it just, it felt, you know, it, it felt like no matter what kind of wrestling you liked, you could get that. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I love Too Cold Scorpio at this time. Too Cold Scorpio was great, and I had, I missed him from WCW. But, I mean, he was at another level here. And yes, the tag team with like the Sandman was absolutely ridiculous. But those matches were fantastic, and, and the angles that they were doing were great. I mean, as, as much of a clown as I thought Mikey Whipwreck was, the whole angle with Cactus Jack was fantastic. So, you know, up and down the card, and no matter what card it was, I could find stuff I liked. I loved Benoit and Malenko. I thought they were the next Tully and Arn. I, I, I just, I did. I, you know, you're watching them go, God, they're so great. You know, and this is what I want my wrestling. And you had Paulie Dangerously that was a part of it. I loved Paulie Dangerously. And then, you know, you'd have guest stars like Rick Rude would come in, and you know, the gangsters had come in from Smoky Mountain, and you know, oh shit, here we go. You know, it always felt like a big deal for like those years, uh, you know, between like 94 and 96, man, that that's my ECW. And that's what I always associate this song with. Yeah. This was brought up with the previous song, but it's like, you know, that idea of using contemporary music of the day for your promotion to make it seem, you know, cooler and, and hip and with it and all that. That's what ECW was known for. That was their bread and butter because, you know, it, it's a simple concept of course, but when you have the bigger companies using, in-house music or production library music or whatever, you do seem a lot cooler because you have this real music and you have bands like Guns N' Roses and The Breeders and Alice in Chains and The Offspring and um, Metallica, of course. Metallica, and, yeah. Uh, Dr. Dre and Ice Cube and all these other bands and artists of the day. You do seem a lot cooler because you use them 
And um, and that's true for the wrestlers, too, because, you know, on the one hand, you've got, like, Duke the Dumpster Drozzy and Mantar and uh, Bastion Booger and all these, you know, cartoonish acts, like you said. On the other, you've got Raven, you've got Tommy Dreamer, you've got the Sandman and Cactus Jack and Sabu, who, you know, they're also a bit cartoonish, sure, but they're so much darker and grittier and edgier by comparison, so... Um, and you yeah, have new it, acts too, like the Eliminators, who who were just fan. The Dudley Boys were just coming into their own into this one, coming out to Highway to Hell from ACDC long before they used it for the Austin, was it SummerSlam, one where SummerSlam '98. Yeah, where he was facing the Rock. Um, Taker. Oh, you know, and and they were oh Taker. Thank you. Uh, you know, Tommy Dreamer was still trying to get over as Tommy Dreamer. He was not yet the hardcore legend, but he was very close. You know, being in that feud with Tommy Cairo and and the Sandman, you know, involving Singapore canes and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, it's look, it had its it had its territory wrestling gimmicks to it, but it still felt, you know, it felt like there was a new gloss of paint on a lot of it. And they were also just taking shots at WCW and WWF the entire time, which which, you know, being early in the internet wrestling community at that time, that's what all of us were doing on Rec Sport Pro Wrestling. Is like, God, look at this that dumbass shit that they have on on, on WCW today. You know, this week, you know, with you know, you know, <laughs> Captain Mike Rotunda or whatever it was at that time. I might be getting my years mixed up, but you know, you'd just be laughing at the dopey crap that they'd be putting on the on the two quote unquote main wrestling shows, and this stuff felt. You know, at least a little bit edgy, even though there was some derivative stuff on there, like Matt Bourne doing Born Again. <laughs> and having to watch Two Cold Scorpio go, he put this mask on me, and let me tell you, it's, you know, not everything hit. Let's put it that way, but it still felt like they were trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we you know, one of the biggest acts in that company was the Blue World Order, which was just, you know, a, a straight-up parody of the New World Order. So, yeah, I mean, they were always taking shots, and they were always... You know, taking the piss out of the bigger companies in some way, and 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 punching up—that was that was the key phrase. I think they were always punching up at the bigger companies. Yeah, once the big two raided them, I lo- like like the TNN era stuff just didn't interest me because it just felt like it was just nothing but hardcore stuff for the most part. And then just trying to put together a federation with bubblegum and duct tape—it it, really—I t- mean, I, I know some people are very fond of that. I I, I I'm not for the most part. I think I think once. <laughs> Once it became clear that either company could buy whoever the hell they wanted to and they were just going to take them away, that my, my kind of personal investment in ECW started to wane a bit. Right. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it so often in wrestling where, you know, you have this promotion of guys and it's very close knit and small and homegrown. Then as time goes on, they kind of get plucked away one by one by one. It just it, it loses the charm and the luster as, as time goes on. It's it's a very common tale, unfortunately. But um but I do want to note this this too. Rob Zombie, he's made quite the mark on wrestling over the years, whether solo or with White Zombie, because he's had plenty of songs used as themes for shows, uh, themes for wrestlers. Uh, of course, Edge being the biggest one, probably, with uh, Never Gonna Stop. Lance, um, Lance Storm, I believe, used one in ECW, was it? Yep, El Phantasmo in the Chicken Run Blasterama. Right. For Lance Storm, that's right, yeah. Um, Yoshinari Ogawa in Noah uses Scum of the Earth to this very day. Uh, you've got Super Beast and More Human Than Human and Electric Head Part 2 and Feels So Numb and all these songs that have been used over the years in you know, various companies for wrestler themes, for show themes, uh, video packages and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I mean, Rob Zombie has made quite the mark in wrestling over the years there, Jeff. I got to deal with him personally 
uh, when I was at Universal uh, once or twice because once I stopped working in the production uh, area and I went over to make some money <laughs> doing theme park management, they had signed uh, they had signed a deal when they decided to bring back Halloween Horror Nights at Universal Studios Hollywood. They they gave Rob Zombie some creative license to create one of the first mazes. Uh, they're, they're, they're using sound stages to, uh, to make haunted houses for, for, uh, people to come in. So, uh, as management, I got to deal with it fairly chill, dude. Um, <laughs> one-on-one and everything. It's, I won't say his, his persona is a work, you know, he's, he's, he's a, he's, he's a, he's a performance artist of some kind. Let, let's put it that way. I mean, when you think metal guys, you think of a certain way and he's, you know, Cool as hell. I, I cannot listen to the song Dragula again, though, because that thing played incessantly for for those nights over and over and over and over again. I'm just like, I am so effing sick. Between that and the Jurassic Park theme, those are two songs that will, will bring out my PTSD for my 20s right there. That that they, Those two songs will just, I, I hate them so much. But, you know, fairly nice guy. Um from from what I had to do, I mean, in terms of professionalism, I, you know, I'm not going to say, hey, we hung out and we drank a bit. And we, you know, we didn't do that, but, you know, got to meet the dude. Cool guy. Didn't bring up ECW. Thought about it, but he probably didn't even know that they were using the song. So. <laughs> Wait, they did what? Get my lawyers. <laughs> Where are my royalties? <laughs> Heyman just laughs. Laughs in Heyman. <laughs> yeah, from what I've seen, he seems like a really nice, cool and chill guy in general. And, um, He's from my neck of the woods too, Massachusetts. So that's that's pretty cool too. Yeah. Okay, um, let me let me ask you this because I've always viewed White Zombie, and they're big in college. Don't get me wrong, but I always kind of viewed them as, uh, kind of a a PG thirteen guar in many ways. Whereas they they weren't doing as much of the, you know, gore and stuff on stage, but they are very much about heavy metal as a as a vehicle for performance art um i don't know i mean gore to me is just so performance art heavy with you know the costumes and the stage play and all that that it kind of takes away the focus from the music whereas with zombie who himself like you said he's also very performance heavy with his own you know costumes and makeup and the cinematic element too with uh, the movie references in his songs the focus is still very much on the music as opposed to like the performance, quote unquote. So, um, yeah, I, I see where you're coming from there, but I don't know. I don't think it's a direct line there between them. Maybe, maybe not. I, I reason I bring up Gwar is because Gwar is from my neck of the woods. They're from Richmond, Virginia. And when White Zombie came out, for some reason, a lot of the hardcore Gwar fans just just got really mad about white zombie i i didn't understand it at the time you know it's like okay whatever dudes you know how about you just like what you like um so so i was wondering if that was had any bearing in truth or whatever and it might just be local to me in terms of music opinion and things like that Mm -hmm. well of course rob would go on to be a director himself so that kind of ties into the whole you know cinematic quality of it all i guess it might just be it might just be jealousy that oh they got bigger and our group you know is still kind of low-key underground i mean to a point war was still kind of on the fringes of popularity versus white zombie which got the big mtv push 
Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, when you're Guar and you're dressing up in these just disgustingly horrific costumes <laughs> with, you know, giant monster penises yes. and spraying liquids everywhere yes. and cutting heads off and things like that, yes. it's there. There tends to be a ceiling to the mainstream there, I think, Jeff. <laughs> what? No, no. It's a, a fun time for all the kids, you know. <laughs> Disney on ice and Guar. Yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> in the hobby. It's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun. And sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs. And it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. Okay, uh, well, what is your third and final music memory for us, Jeff? I realize I did this out of order, so I apologize. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> we'll fix it in post, as they say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my third third pick is Missile by Dorothy.
at this time, still old. <laughs> I love it. I don't want to be doing this at 44. Like, when was I when this came out? I was what, six, seven years ago? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, um, look, this was when we were all optimistic about the WWE Network in some ways being used as Hunter's baby to make all boats <laughs> float and do things for certain aspects of the wrestling community that you knew old man Vince McMahon would. And one, two of those things were the Cruiserweight Classic and the May Young Classic. And man, this this was the theme for the first May Young Classic. And you watch that Parade of Champions, which I still go back and watch occasionally. In terms of just a celebration of joy and excitement and optimism, even with a one foot in the door, Jim Ross doing the play-by-play because Jim Ross was bad on this. I mean, there's he's he's not what he's like. I should be on SmackDown. I shouldn't be doing a network show. Lita had never done any color commentary of any kind, to my knowledge. And Jim Ross, you just tell he's reading these things. And he's like, what the hell does this mean? It's a very what? unique format for the tournament. It's a single very elimination. Unique. You win the match. You move on. You lose the match. It's a long fly back home. Yeah, I just remember Kaylee Ray had something after, like, she's a member of the something generation. Whatever the hell that means. I just like, come <laughs> on, JR. Try, try and actually, you know, be in on this a little bit. But for me, number one, I love the song. I absolutely adore this song so much. And, and the video packages they did with it were great. But this Parade of Champions, which was mostly a bunch of women who had been working in the independence who you never thought was gonna, were going to get a sniff of WWE, combined with some of their training center prospects like Bianca Belair and Rhea Ripley and uh, Vanessa, um, uh, I, I want to call her Danielle Camella, but whatever, uh, Vanessa Bourne, uh, I think uh, Zeta Zhang and Zia Lee were both in this as well. But um, just watching the first two participants in this parade of champions, Dakota Kai, is almost trembling with tears at the excitement of being able <laughs> to, to make it to a fairly heavily televised show for her compared to, say, Shimmer and Shine and Rise and the other miniature, or not miniature, but smaller women's promotions out here. And then Serena Deeb was the second one. She'd been out of the company for a number of years after doing the whole Straight Edge Society thing, and everybody was saying this might be a chance for her rebirth in there and, and just watching the excitement of both the crowd and and the competitors in here uh doing that it, it, it's it's burned in my mind of of between my vast cynicism of being a, number one a longtime fan number two a longtime fan who read uh you know newsletters and followed on the internet and and just you know number three cynical about wwe and, and all they do um my joy in wrestling a few years ago was found within the horsewomen and i've often compared women's wrestling in this decade in the last decade to being very much like the 80s wrestling the athleticism of the 80s wrestling that, that i enjoyed the most and, and plus women in in wrestling have a distinct advantage um, in terms of not being put in a cookie cutter necessarily compared to, you know, men in the WWE, you know, you're six foot four jacked, 
you know, probably have taken some supplements of some kind. You look like a bodybuilder. You know, you can do two power moves and that's about it. You know, whereas the women are always, you know, there's a little bit more personality and a little bit more different body types. And it's a little bit more fun for me to watch. So it really kind of sparked my interest in, in wrestling again was watching, you know, women's wrestling in, in, in the mid teens uh, to, to about now. Um, <laughs> there are things I don't like about some women's wrestling now. I think it's starting to regress a little bit, to be honest with you. But this thing, like, I loved the Mae Young Classic, and I loved this Parade of Champions, and it's one of the fondest memories in my fandom was watching this Parade of Champions. And like I said, I'll go back every so often and watch it, because uh, number one, I love the song, and, and number two, just the weird celebration of joy amongst everybody, including everybody who packed in the Performance Center for this show. Yeah, you've been hyping up this song for a few years now, um, including on this show, I think, a couple of times before here. But um, but yeah, it's a good song for sure. It's got that it's got that kind of hard rock with the fuzzy modulation over the vocals yeah. and the stomp clap beat as well. It's it's all very like feisty and rah rah and yeah, let's go get them. Come on, let's fight. Which you know was part of that whole women's evolution thing from a few years ago, yes. where at least in this part of the company, there was more of a focus on the in-ring and the athletics as opposed to just the good looks, which, you know, I mean, good looks are still part of it. They're always going to be. but um, Cosmetic business. Cosmetic yeah. business, baby. That's right. Yeah, that's right. But um, but at least, you know, for a time, there was more of a focus on the actual matches and the athleticism as well compared to, you know, the Attitude Era or the Divas Era. Um and now it seems like we're a few years removed from that, and it's like we're moving back to those olden days um, in both the main roster and also in, you know, NXT as well. So it's very it's very strange, Jeff, how this was only a few years ago, yes. but it's already just changed so much, I think. It might just be I like modulation in my songs because I realize, there, well, there might be a connection here. An, another tune... It's not exactly like like this song, but uh, that was used for a UFC promo between, I believe it was John Jones and uh, Rashad. Uh, I'm gonna say Rashad Jackson. Is that his name? Sugar Sugar Rashad. Uh, what's uh, don't know his name, but the name of the song was uh, "Listed Demands" by Saul Williams, and that also goes into goes into modulation as well. And maybe it's just using modulation as a, as a fight hype thing or something like that. But uh, no, yeah, I. Uh, I, I I tried listening to other stuff by Dorothy. She, it, it's not a bad group. They're out here in L.A., it turns out. Um, <laughs> I should probably listen to more of them. But I, w- I was a little bit surprised that uh, at least uh, the stuff that I heard didn't get a little bit more traction. Um, but, you know, WWE tends to do this a lot. As they, they go through, you know, they have they have a selection of hits from a le- or they have a selection of songs that are usually about a year old that they can select from a record label. Sometimes they get new ones like when the they use the weekend. But you know this was just hey you want to use this song give more play sure whatever I have about like seven or eight of these songs that they use for throwaway NXT takeovers and stuff <laughs> like that that you're never gonna hear again. But I go man this is a pretty cool soul. Like there, there was one of these songs uh, Heaven Heaven has a backdoor too or something like that. I thought that was a cool little catchy tune, you know that that no one will ever recognize because it's not like <laughs> it's not Peter Gabriel big time or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird. Like I remember back in the day. You know, when it came to show themes, it was so easy for me to recognize the songs 
and to know which ones belong with which shows and I would download them and uh, play them on my iPod and all that. And it feels like nowadays that's long gone for me. And that may be just a combination of, you know, me getting older. Um, too many shows. and Too, too many, many shows, things. yeah, yeah. And, and the songs are forgettable, maybe too harsh a word, I think. But no, no, I think, like, think forgettable is no, forgettable's a good word because it's like these bands that you've never heard of. And it's like it's it's a single that they're hoping might get a little play with the nerd crew that could then move over to the, you know, could then get some mainstream traction of some kind. But yeah, I mean, like I looked up this song. You know, who's ever heard of Dead Sarah after <laughs> after the NXT takeover that they use this? Part? I do. I know one of their songs, actually. Oh, do you? Yeah, it's, it's called uh, Weatherman. It's pretty good. Oh, OK. I, I, it's look, the only uh, one I know, but it, it's pretty good. <laughs> I, I retract my statement, ladies and gentlemen, because I'm an old man who doesn't know jack crap about today's music. So there you go. <laughs> but they're the ones who did Heaven's Got a Backdoor as well, which was one of the NXT TakeOver things that I really dug. But yeah, you know, occasionally I'll like take these songs, and I'll download them, and then it's like in my vast library of music, they'll come up on a random play. I'll go, oh yeah, that one. But Dorothy's uh, one that I, this missile song is one that I, I play rather regularly because I, I still really like it i use it i use it as a workout tune too it's on my workout playlist so yeah i really like it mm-hmm. yeah it's pretty good like i said it's a good song and uh it does harken back to the days before you know the majority of the gimmicks down there in the uh the nxt zone i guess were you know things like toxic attraction and mandy rose and uh tiffany stratton and wendy chu and um, Saray, the Japanese schoolgirls. So, you know, it's things have kind of taken a turn, I'd say, Jeff, in recent days. So, <laughs> well, also that, I mean, you thought that, that this WWE network was going to be turned into kind of a general all purpose wrestling network that they were going to try and cater to fans that just, that not only may not watch their product, but they like wrestling. And they, they wouldn't mind watching other things as long as it wasn't like the main roster. Because, I mean, NXT was still pretty much the hottest brand amongst wrestling fans at that time. Even though, you know, WWE got bigger numbers, but the buzz always went to NXT because it was like a super indie at the time. Yeah, they, they had done the Cruiserweight Classic to pretty high level of success in terms of, I mean, they even went so far as to say, hey, we're going to put these guys on Raw and then bury them. Uh, <laughs> You know, so, so you thought, okay, maybe they're going to use this to supplement their women's division and maybe grow women's wrestling a little bit, and then they'll be able to harvest some stuff into their own. And of course, you know, of course they do what they do, and they did what they did. So you know, it, it's it was always it was always going to be disappointing, but we as fans sometimes delude ourselves that. That, you know, that's not just a quick cash grab that maybe maybe they're going to do something, you know, for the what we view as the betterment as opposed to what they view as the betterment. Mm-hmm. I mean, when one of the winners is just gone after a few years, Tony Storm, that does that does say a lot. I think two um, of them are gone. Didn't Kyrie win this? Oh, Kyrie. Jesus. Yes. I forgot about her. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Because you think Shayna Baszler won that first one she did. It was Kyrie saying that won it, I believe. Yeah, that that just skipped my mind. Yeah, she's gone too. Right, yeah. I mean, the, the amount of talent that they let go through here 
I mean, this first, this first one, I mean, you had Nicole Savoy, you had Mercedes Martinez, you had Tessa Blanchard, no matter what you think of her. Uh, you had Tony Storm, you had, uh, yeah, you had Kyrie Sane. I believe you had Mike Gosatamura, who they finally brought back. Or no, was that just, that was just the second one. That's my fault. Um, you know, mo- most of the people who've been through the NWA women's division <laughs> <laughs> and doing that with the exception of maybe Thunder Rosa. I mean, you had, you know, you, you had some, I mean, Deanna Peraza was an alternate who was used for like one multi-person tag match on one of these cards. And, and if you want to know the level of depth of talent that they had in this tournament. And then, then you, I mean, I don't think Bianca Belair has necessarily ever looked better than she did in this tournament, to be honest with you. I, I mean, I think she, she's improved as a wrestler, but as just a, a, in terms of what could she do in the ring type of thing, I don't think she was ever better than that match against Kyrie Sane in this, in this tournament. You know, she's never been able to show that level of athleticism in another match. Uh, you know, because I think people won't, won't take some of the things that she was doing in that, in that match. But yeah, I mean, you saw what Rhea Ripley could do. Um, she looked pretty good in here and, and, you know, you had, you had glimpses of the future and then you had people that you could have, you could have signed for long-term good that you chose not to. I mean, you know, you had, they signed Kaylee Ray eventually. They signed Mercedes Martinez for a short time. You know, they used what they, they, they squeezed all the juice out of the lemon that they wanted to do for their own purposes. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tegan Knox was in there and she's gone now. Um, was she in the first one or was she just in the second one? Uh, she was in the second one. Yeah. Okay. But uh, Mia Yim was also in it. She's gone now too. Jazzy um, Gabert was in the first one. I believe. Jazzy Gabert. That's right. Yeah. Alpha female. Forgot about her too. Yeah. And she got over as a, she got over as a huge star. At those tapings from from the reports of people who were there live, so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, just you know, all in all, strange days to look back on in hindsight. I think ah, to quote John Lennon, "Strange days indeed." More peculiar, Mama. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you, old man. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's your there's your random arcade reference from Jeff. There we go. All right, well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Music of the Mad. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, Jeff. Thank you so much, as always, for being here. This was just so much fun. I do appreciate, of course, your your knowledge of wrestling and, and music. And um, I also appreciate you just rambling on for many minutes <laughs> at a time there. Because it does, it does, you know, allow me to carry less of the show overall here. So you I do appreciate ramble, that a lot. <laughs> I, I did. I did. I'm kidding, of course. I'm, te- I'm teasing. I'm kidding. But um, in all seriousness, this was a lot of fun, Jeff. And uh, I do thank you again for being here. No problem. Any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead. Yes, I, yes, I was waiting for the cue. <laughs> you can follow me at Crap Game Thirteen. Mostly just snarking about wrestling and the occasional arcane '80s movies reference. I think I was talking about Police Academy, which I watched this weekend again. Never gonna be able to make a movie like that again. Uh, I do a show called Shake Them Ropes over on the Voices of Wrestling Network that both Andrew and I are part of. Andrew likes my tweets sometimes. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes, all one word. Um, I also do a uh, Dynamite uh, post show over on Fight Game Media for, I think, a couple bucks a month. You can listen to that for my hot takes, but most of my cold takes are on Shake Them Ropes. And then occasionally I still go over to the Fightful neighborhood and do a post show over there. So I'm around, but mostly on Twitter at CrapGame13. All right. And uh, like Jeff said, 
Music of the Met is part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find all the great shows on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Met. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Discord for all discussions. VoicesOfWrestling.com slash Donate for all donations as well. And uh, one more time here. HelloFresh.com slash VOW16 and use the code VOW16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. Uh, Jeff, thank you again. I'll see you around. Mm-hmm. All right. For Jeff Hawkins, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys. <laughs> Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders.